0: This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate Scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Well, hello there. It's Jeremy Myers, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the One Verse Podcast. We're continuing to study the topic of hell. And today we're going to look at this text out of Mark chapter 9, which talks about fire that doesn't quench, fire that doesn't go out, and worms that never die. Is Jesus, when he talks about this, is he warning people that uh, there's a place called hell where they will scream and burn and suffer for all eternity and worms are going to eat away at their flesh? Lots of people think so. But I am going to present you with an alternative understanding of Jesus' words from that text. He's quoting out of Isaiah 66, so we obviously need to go back and see what Isaiah meant in the text out of Isaiah. What it meant in its context to its people, its audience, so that we can understand what Jesus meant. That's what we are going to do today. And in case you didn't know, these studies are based on my book titled, What is Hell? And I've been telling you for months now that the book is coming out in June. Well, guess what? It is out now. Alright, it's already available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Kobo and a couple other places as well. Apple iTunes Books, I believe, or Apple Books. And so you can go get your copy right away. And if you pre-ordered it, then you should already have that copy of your book. Uh, Especially if you ordered it on Amazon, it should have been delivered to you this past week sometime when it finally released. Now, it's not officially, I'm not officially launching the book yet. But I want you to know that if you have pre-ordered the book already, or if you buy it by the end of the first week of June, so say by June 7th or so, then what you need to do is send me an email at hellbook at redeeminggod.com. Okay, send an email to hellbook, it's one word, hellbook at redeeminggod.com, because I want to send you the audio lessons for my course, my online course on hell that is based on the book. All right, there's gonna be like 16 lessons in this course, something like that. It's probably gonna be around 10 to 12 hours worth of instruction about hell. The course itself is valued at about $300. And so simply by buying my book before June 7th, and if you've already bought it, that counts, then I will send you all of the audio files for that course at no charge. Okay, $300 worth. Can't even hardly believe I'm doing that. Uh, but I want to thank you for buying my book and buying it before June 7th. So that's what I'm going to do. All right. And look, if you if you uh, want to tell others about this on Twitter and Facebook, I would greatly appreciate that as well. That way they can take advantage of this offer. If they buy the book before June 7th, then send me an email. Hellbook at redeeminggod.com. I'll send you those files by the end of June. All right. It might take me a while to put them all together. Uh, But it will be by the end of June. Okay, so with all of that in mind, let's get into our study today of Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50. So the text says, well, multiple times in this passage, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 66, and one of them, for example, is Mark 9, 48, where Jesus says, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about this concept of the unquenchable fire or the fire that is not quenched because we studied this previously when we looked at Matthew 18 verses 8 and 9. All right, and so if you want to understand this concept of unquenchable fire or the fire that is not quenched, then uh, just go back and listen to that study. Or if you have the book, go ahead and read that section out of the book, all right, because it's in there as well. My main concern with our study today is this image of worms. Their worm does not die. This is the primary difference between Mark 9 and Matthew 18, and so it's important to understand this concept of worms. All right, so the first thing to ask about these worms is whether or not these worms are literal. And with a careful study of the context and the wor- and the words that are used, it appears that it is better to understand the worms figuratively, symbolically, all right? Um, and there's multiple reasons for this. I mean, both the fire and the worms cannot be taken literally. In fact, generally, when people describe hell, People who are traditionalists or infernalists have this view that there is a place where people are going to suffer and scream for all eternity, all right? Usually, you will hear them talk about fire and burning and lake of fire, all that sort of thing, but almost never, very rarely, will they ever say, and your flesh is going to be eaten with, with worms. Why is that? Well, because the two terms sort of seem to be, well, you can't have worms, literal worms also, and literal fire. Uh, not exactly, unless the worms are, uh, you know, can't be burned up, same way our bodies can't be burned up. But the real reason is because the Greek word that Jesus uses here is the word skolex, And this is a type of worm that feeds only on dead bodies. All right? And most people assume that the bodies in hell, if it's this place where people scream and suffer for eternity. Yes, they're dead, but they're not dead in the sense that they are unmoving, unconscious and, you know, not screaming forever in torture and agony. That's sort of the whole point of eternal conscious torment is that their bodies don't get burned up. Therefore, their bodies are not decaying. They're not exactly dead. The way we would think of them, they are conscious, they are in a sense living. Yes, it's an eternal death of a sense, but no skolex worm would ever be on a living, conscious, moving, feeling, non decaying body, especially not if the body was being burned by the flames. Remember, we talked before about the valley of Hinnom, which was Gehenna, this giant garbage heap outside of the gates of Jerusalem. And uh, this was not just a garbage dump, but also a place where sometimes bodies would get thrown as a result of crime, or just because there wasn't a place to bury them, or they had leprosy and they died down there, or whatever. And often, yes, these Scolex worms would feed on the dead bodies of the people and animals that were down there. The worms and maggots would would eat them. But you would never find these worms, these Scolex worms, on the bodies of uh, those that were that were burning, right? If the body's burning, <laughs> the worms go away. There's no worms on the burning bodies. So basically, when we come to this text, we have to realize that either the flames are symbolic, and therefore the bodies have worms, or the worms are symbolic, and therefore the body's burning, or maybe, just maybe, both terms are symbolic. All right, they cannot be literal because the word that Jesus used here for worms, scolex worms, they do not feed on burning bodies. They do not feed on living, moving, breathing, conscious bodies. So that requires you with proper Bible study methods and hermeneutics to say that either the flames or the worms, or maybe both terms, are symbolic. Now, obviously, you know what I think about this. I think that both the terms are symbolic. If Jesus is referring to symbolic worms, then the flames also are symbolic, and vice versa. All right? So, now we talked about the fire before. Again, go back and listen to the study on Matthew 18. But what about the worms? And here is where it's helpful to recognize that in Mark 9:48 uh, and also in verse 44 and 46, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 66:24. 24. And this, if you go back and look, happens to be the very last verse in the book of Isaiah. And these final lines of the book of Isaiah describe the eternal state of the new heavens and the new earth, in which all flesh will worship God forever and ever. Verses 22 and 23 say, from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another. All right. And part of this everlasting worship of God includes, you ready for this, the ability to Go forth and look upon the corpses of men who transgressed against God, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Okay, so those are the final words of Isaiah. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment you die or are raptured, depending on your view, and you go to heaven and you spend eternity with God where you're going to live in everlasting, sinless, painless death No more tears, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more dying, no more death, no more war. All of that is done away. It's peace uh, for all eternity. One of the things you imagine yourself doing is going out to a field of rotting, burning corpses and looking upon that field of corpses with glee and happiness (laughs) as an act of worship, I have heard of some people who look forward with great anticipation to doing, oh, I can't wait till I can go to heaven and watch all of my enemies and my foes suffer and burn and scream and rot for all eternity. And they base that idea off of this verse in Isaiah sixty six twenty four. Personally, though, and I hope you agree, I find it impossible to think that as part of our eternal bliss with God— the gracious, merciful, forgiving, loving God that we see in Jesus Christ. And we, when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. I find it impossible that we will want to take regular field trips to gaze upon a mass grave full of rotting, burning, maggot-filled corpses. I, I, I believe that... <laughs> that since we will have glorified bodies, we will be sinless as God is sinless, I doubt that any one of us in eternity would ever desire to do such a thing. So why does Isaiah end his book this way? At least that sort of seems to be what Isaiah is describing, right? So what does Isaiah have in mind? Well, this is the final verse in Isaiah he just ends it here. So I think it's important to understand this final verse. You have to go through the rest of the book of Isaiah, proper Bible study methods here, and see what the imagery of fire and worms represent throughout the rest of the letter. That just makes sense, right? And when you do that, we did this before, by the way, when we studied a passage out of Isaiah uh, in relation to fire, Uh, but uh, fire and worms in the book of Isaiah are often used as imagery For destruction and corruption that come upon people and nations who are rebelling against God. And quite often, as you read through Isaiah, this destruction through fire, this corruption by worms, is self inflicted. All right, God set up this world in such a way uh, so that there are proper ways to live. Rules and guidelines. And since God set up this world for us to function that way, then he gives us these rules and guidelines and he says, you know, walk in my way, do this and things will go well with you. Don't do that or things will go bad with you. Now, when God says those things, he's not threatening us. He's not saying, if you disobey me, I will punish you. He's saying, if you disobey me, if you go against the way this world is set up to function then there will be consequences, natural consequences. As I've often said in previous studies, sin bears its own punishment with it, and that's what God is warning us against. So when God says, don't sin or else, he's not saying, don't sin or else, I'm going to squash you like a bug. He's saying, don't sin or else, the natural consequences of sin are going to fall upon you. Okay, This is why, by the way, God tells us not to sin. It's not because he's a killjoy, wants to ruin our fun. Um... It's because he loves us and doesn't want to see us get hurt. He's saying, don't put your hot hand on the stove or you will get burned, all right? And so when we, when we ignore his warnings and practice sin anyway, then the consequences of sin come up upon us. And that is what we see over and over and over in Isaiah. God warns his people and the people of the surrounding nations, don't go this way, don't do that, but they do it anyway. And the natural consequences are devastation and corruption fire and worms, right? So even here in Isaiah 66, this is why Isaiah speaks of their worm and their corruption. This is not the worms that God sends upon them or the corruption that God sends upon them, right? It is their worm, their corruption. It is theirs and theirs alone. They brought it among upon themselves and they live with it. All right, so how does all this... Now, you can do that study on your own uh, as far as the worms and the fire and the rest of Isaiah, but how does this help us understand this final verse, Isaiah sixty six twenty four, 24, and then ultimately into Mark 9? All right, well, Isaiah is describing, he is describing, I agree, I believe, he is describing the new heavens and the new earth. That's very clear in the context. In which all the nations of the earth dwell. That's in verses 18 through 20. And when he writes about the people of God being able to gaze upon the corpses of the dead, he's not imagining that there is literally a field of corpses in eternity that we can take field trips to and stare at with dread fascination, right? Morbid satisfaction. Oh, look at all those evil people down there rotting and burning. No, right? Instead, what's going on here? Isaiah is answering an age-old question about eternity. All right, he says in verses 22 and 23 that in the new heavens and the new earth, all flesh will come and worship God. But the question you might have asked, I know I have asked, I know many people have asked, uh, is, is how this eternal existence of worshiping God will differ from that of Adam and Eve, right? I mean, we are going to be sinless. Well, they were sinless. We're going to have bodies that do not die. Well, they had bodies that did not die because of the, the tree of life, right? Um, they are going to be walking with God. We're going to be walking with God. And so if you've ever thought about this, then you are going to wonder, well, Adam and Eve had all of that, and yet they sinned. We're going to have all of that. What will keep us from sinning? What will keep us from rebelling? Right? The angels rebelled, and Adam and Eve rebelled. How do we know that in eternity, you and I won't rebel in the new heavens and the new earth? Isaiah sixty-six twenty-four 24 is the answer. There is one thing we have, or that, that is, that we will have, which Adam and Eve did not. And that is the knowledge of good and evil. All right, you go back and read Genesis 2, Genesis 3. There was that tree of knowledge of good and evil, and God told them not to eat from it. Now, that doesn't mean that God never wanted them to have that knowledge, that God never intended to teach them the knowledge of good and evil. God did want to teach them the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, but it had to be learned through a relationship with Him, through a step-by-step process of building on what is right, what is wrong, the consequences of wrong decisions. And I believe that if Adam and Eve had not eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would have, and all of us with them, gained that knowledge over time. God would have taught it to us in a close relationship with Him. God does not say, this knowledge is mine and mine alone and I'm never going to give it to you. No, He's saying this knowledge is mine, And right now, it is mine alone. You cannot be trusted with it because you don't know enough. But over time, through the centuries and the millennia and the millions and billions of years, you will learn this, all right? Uh, And so Adam and Eve sort of jumped the gun. They tried to gain that for themselves, which belonged to God, uh, and get it for themselves before they were ready. And you can go re- listen to my podcast studies on Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 uh, to learn more about this. But that's the thing. When we go into eternity, then, that is the one thing that will separate us from Adam and Eve and which will therefore allow us to avoid their same mistake. Right? We, because we lived in this sinless, sinful world and have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, we will have the knowledge— of evil and will understand its devastating and destructive consequences in our life. And so we will be able to go out and look upon the corpses of men who have transgressed against God, and we will be able to see how their words and actions led to nothing but the worms of corruption and the fires of destruction. So who are these corpses? Who who, who are the corpses we are going to look at? And I said, I don't want to do this in eternity, but there is one thing I would like to do in eternity. You might think me a little crazy might think it uh, doesn't sound like the greatest experience but it's one thing i hope to be able to do and i think that isaiah 66:24 is telling us that yes we will be able to do this i believe that in eternity we will be able to look upon human history all of human history including our own personal history we will be able to view how we all have lived at various times in the kingdom of hell The kingdom of darkness, which is the kingdom of this earth. And we will be able to see how our decisions of corruption and decay and sin and rebellion against God led to a life of death and darkness, of worm and fire. Human history, I believe, will serve as an everlasting reminder about where a life of rebellion leads. Human history is the everlasting object lesson, this field of corpses that provides us in eternity the knowledge of good and evil, All right, and that we were redeemed from it. All right. Now, I know that some people struggle with this because they think, I don't want to remember all the horrible things that happened in my life. I don't want to have to go back and view, say, the Holocaust or the... You know, horrible things that happen—war and violence and rape and murder and all of these evil things that have happened. Through I want to forget all that. Um, but I, I I struggle with that because I think how much bliss and happiness can you have in eternity if you do not remember the things that God redeemed you from? And furthermore. Is God really going to take away from you the memories of your loved ones and the happy times? I mean, you think about it, sometimes the happiest moments of your life came as a result of great pain and sadness and sorrow and grief. So if God is going to take away the things that cause the sorrow and pain and grief, then he also has to take away almost all of your memories. And so what, he's just going to wipe our memory clean? Well, then we will be no different from Adam and Eve. Right? Since all events in our life are connected, God cannot wipe away some of our memories without wiping all of them. So yes, human history is painful, and it will be painful in a way to watch it and remember it, but in eternity we will have a much different perspective on human history, because We will be able to view it through God's redeeming grace. We will be able to see what God was doing in our life and how he brought good out of the bad and painful situations and how he reconciled us to other people and to other situations and how uh, all of the events led to God's amazing, glorious plan to bring Jesus and to redeem this world and reconcile the world. Right? So I believe that's what Isaiah is describing in Isaiah 6624 there's not going to be this eternal mass grave of rotting burning bodies that we can go watch and have picnics as we watch them burn down there and the worms eat their bodies. That doesn't sound like much of a picnic, but we will be able to view history, human history. yes, the the mass grave of human history and from that, learn what not to do in the future, and recognize God's righteousness and holiness forever and ever. And that will lead us and all the nations of the world to worship him because of what he did through history and how he reconciled us, redeemed us, and delivered us from this mass grave, this kingdom of hell, this kingdom of darkness that we live in now. That will enable us to worship God in eternity by learning from our past mistakes, seeing how God has redeemed those for his own glory in eternity. So that's Isaiah 6, 24. And I believe that is what Jesus had in mind in Mark 9:49 to 50. One of the reasons I believe this is because of what else Jesus says in this passage. He says that everyone will be seasoned with fire. Now If you believe that Jesus is actually talking here about the fires of everlasting hell where unbelievers are going to go and scream and suffer and burn for all eternity, then when Jesus says everyone will be seasoned with fire, then you have to think that Jesus is saying everyone will go to hell. If the fire here refers to the fires of hell, then everyone is going to spend some time there at least, right? Maybe you believe in purgatory then. I don't know. But... Uh, The reference to being salted or seasoned with fire really helps clarify the picture, all right? Uh, Back in the ancient world, they would salt meat so that the worms would not come and eat the meat, so that the meat would be preserved, all right? Since there was no refrigeration, salted meat uh, was kept from decaying, and the worms were kept from eating the meat by salting it, by seasoning it. And Jesus is saying here that we will be seasoned, we will be salted with fire. And also, fire can be used to stop the fire of destruction. Just like cooking the meat also stops the corruption process. And preserving salt can be used to stop the decay of corruption. So Jesus is talking about salt as a seasoning in 950, and equates this seasoning to have peace with one another. So the fires of destruction that come upon humans— as destructive wars, right? Those often involve fire. Uh, Then being seasoned with salt for the sake of peace. All of this Jesus is talking about here in the context. Basically, it's one of the primary ways that human uh, violence and wars are averted and where they come from and all of that. Bottom line is the imagery of fire and salt Uh, is is throughout this context, and it is referring to human history and how we learn to live at peace with each other and what God is doing to teach us the knowledge of good and evil from our past so that we can avoid it in our future. In fact, even in the context here, we have this image of a sacrifice um, from the Mosaic Law. Again, I've talked about this a lot. It's also in my, or will be in my online course, The Gospel Dictionary, where I look at the word sacrifice. It's also in my book, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I have two chapters in there about sacrifice. But what we learn as we study sacrifices is that Jesus has done away with bloody sacrifices in himself. He was sacrificed to show us that we don't need to sacrifice to God, that God does not want or need sacrifices. And so uh, because of that, though, we can make ourselves a sacrifice. We put ourselves on the the sacrificial altar by purifying our lives through fire and salt and discipline, sanctifying our lives through through seasoning and the preserving salt of peace and so on. Okay? So basically, Jesus is saying, here's what he's teaching in this whole passage of Mark 9, just to sort of bring it all together. He's not warning people about some everlasting torture chamber where unbelievers are going to scream forever and be eaten by worms. Jesus is saying the same thing that Isaiah was saying, which was, learn from your past. All right? You've been seasoned with fire. You've been salted. And yes, there will be mistakes in your future, but learn from your past. Don't forget your past. Learn from your past uh, so that your life's work is not destroyed and corrupted. If you don't learn from your past, if you continue to disobey God, disregard his instructions in Scripture, live any way you want, then yes, destruction and corruption is going to come upon your life. This life now, it has nothing whatsoever to do with your life in eternity. It's about what you built for yourself, worked for yourself, worked for this world in your family, uh, in this world now. And it can either go on into eternity or it can be destroyed and ruined. Uh, And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's a warning about your life's work now, And how to have the best possible outcome of your life so that what you've worked for, what you love, what you enjoy, what you value, what you find important in life, is not destroyed by fire and is not eaten away by the corruption of worms, symbolically, okay? And it's not about hell. And we see that by going back to Isaiah 66 and the passage there where we can learn from the past mistakes in eternity to avoid rebellion and sin against God in eternity— but with no need to wait for eternity for that, Jesus is saying here. We can do that now. Live for God now. All right. So the worm in the fire, Mark 9, 40 through to 49, it's not referring to the punishment, torture forever in for the unbelieving dead, right? But rather to self-sacrifice, the, the loving discipline of God. Maybe even the fiery trials of persecution that come upon our life now. As a way of purifying our lives, preparing us for ministry, future ministry, and effectiveness in this life. This is a discipleship passage, not a warning about future hell. This is a discipleship passage. Jesus is discouraging us to take steps of self-sacrifice now. Purify our lives with fire. Be seasoned with salt of peace. So that we can keep our life free from pollution, corruption, and moral decay not so we can go to heaven and escape hell that occurs by believing in Jesus for eternal life All right Jesus is talking here about experiencing the rule and reign of God the kingdom of God in our life now rather than the rule and reign of death the kingdom of hell now okay we don't want that we want the kingdom of heaven now in our life and we can do that as we do that learn from our past learn from our mistakes then we will avoid the devastation and destruction brought by sin in our life now as well. So that's Mark 9, all right, verses 42 to 50. Hope it answers some of your questions, especially this imagery of fire and the worm and what Jesus is talking about here. And also maybe alleviated some of your fear. Jesus has not given us a spirit of fear, right? And um, perfect love casts out fear. So once we understand what God is like as revealed in Jesus Christ, then you no longer have to fear god in the sense that many people think shaking their boots scared that he's gonna snuff you out squash you like a bug you also no longer have to fear being burned and screaming agony forever in the fires of hell yes there are warning passages in the bible such as this one about our life now and also an invitation to believe in jesus for eternal life all over the place in the gospel of john But once we do that, then we can live without fear because we know that God is for us, God loves us, God forgives us, He accepts us, His grace and mercy towards us are infinite and without end. And we can move forward with grace and courage and conviction and boldness to rescue and help and uh, deliver other people from their bondage to sin and slavery as well. Listen, if you want to learn more about all this, I do recommend you get a copy of my book, What is Hell?, I do go through these podcasts fairly fast and I also take some things out that are in the book because they just don't uh, sound well. you know, Quotes and things like that in the podcast. I just can't read a bunch of long quotes, but they're in the book. Footnotes and other things as well. Additional uh, studies. And it is available. The book is available now on Amazon. So just go get your copy. And again, if you buy a book before June 7th, send an email to hellbook at redeeminggod.com And when they're ready, I'll make sure you get all the audio files for my online course. All right. See you next week when we talk about Luke 16 and Lazarus.